not too long ago, I had a friend come into my office. I, I, I heard him before he even got there. I mean, he was whistling all the way down the hallway, and he got to my door, and the whistling quit, and this big smile came over his face, this big cheesy smile, and he said, you'll never guess what I've been doing. Now, with this guy, I had no clue what he was ever doing, let alone something he was trying to surprise me with. He said, I just planned my funeral, and you're doing it. He said, I got everything settled except for how much I'm going to pay you. How much should I pay you? And I said, well, am I going to be telling the truth or am I going to be doing a lot of lying? And we laughed and went to lunch. There's a billboard on the west side of our city that used to say, live a good life so your preacher won't have to lie when you die. Had another friend who asked me, if I ever thought of my own funeral when I went and did other people's funerals. And I said, no. That's kind of creepy, you know? No, I don't do that. And he told me that he did, and in fact he said, uh, he, he always asked himself the same question. When he does a funeral, he asks himself, what am I doing to ensure that when I leave this world, my part of the world will be a better place? And you know, the more I think about that, that's not a bad concept. Not to think about when you're at a funeral about your own funeral, but understanding that maybe our goal as Christians is to leave our world in a little better place. Needless to say, I have some weird friends. But I do want to talk to you today about leaving your part of the world in a little better way. And you know, I think it's amazing to me that those who have an eternal perspective have a tendency to want to leave their world in a little better way. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for their present world were precisely those who have thought the most about the next world. Those Christians who have ceased to think about the world to come are pretty ineffective around here. Today we bring to a close our what-if experiment. In the past few weeks, we've discussed various things. What if we were better at forgiveness? What if we were better at controlling our thoughts and keeping our mind in check? What if we were able to let go of worry and just quit worrying about life and let God control things on his own? What if we were better managers of our time, able to prioritize and keep the important things, the important things, and the not-so-important things. Controlling our words. and We talked about controlling our finances. And today, I want us to explore the possibility of living a life in such a way that is designed to make this place a little bit better now and forever. So first let me mention just a couple of problems that can come our way when we just think more about ourselves than we do others. Two things that tend to surface when we live a life this way, and it all has to do about isolation and missed opportunities. But a lot of times in our life we have a tendency to live for ourselves, and we do that, it just makes our life miserable and usually those around us miserable. Now, I know you're probably not going to recognize 
this picture. This is a picture of a man named Glenn Wolf, and he is a man that uh, is known for something he considered spectacular. And I think he is a man who understood life, and I think he's a man who uh, um, lived for himself. He died in Los Angeles at the age of 88, and no one came to, uh, to claim his body. In fact, the city paid to have him buried at an unmarked grave. And kind of a sad situation for a man who lived 88 years. Kind of a sad situation, but not unusual. And a lot of times in large cities when people tend to live disenfranchised lives, they, they end up in this type of predicament. But the unusual thing about this is that this man, Glenn, holds a world record in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the most married man. I don't know what number she is, but he married 29 times. That means 29 times he was asked, do you take this woman to be your wife, forsaking all others, pledging yourself only to her, and doing so as long as you both shall live? And 29 times he said, yep, I do. And 29 times he failed to make that commitment stick. He lived for himself and he did things his way. He left behind several grandchildren, several children, several great-grandchildren, ex-wives and ex-in-laws, and I'm not sure what number she is. But he spent his entire life living for himself. And he died alone and isolated. And living for yourself will bring isolation and missed opportunities, heartache and sadness for you and for those who who know you. On the other hand, living for others has a tendency to help you live a deeper and richer life and the ability to control and to enjoy other relationships in so many ways. And that's what I want you to consider today when you think about making your part of the world a little better place. And the one question that I want us to answer today, and it has to be the, probably the, 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 the paramount uh, type, type of question, how do we do this? How in the world do we put this into practice? How do we make our part of the world a better place? And I want you to think about your part of the world. That might mean where you live in this city, or it might mean where you work in this town, or it might mean a lot of things. It might have reference to your family. It might have reference to so many things, but your part of the world is pretty big once you really start to think about it. If you have your Bibles today, Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 through 12, this is the last chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. This is where we are told uh, where and how Moses died. And Moses was a man who lived to make a difference for others. He was a man who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He was a man who led the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he was a man who established God's law and God's covenant with God's people throughout the years. And these verses tell us about his death and what happened next, and there's three things that I want you to remember as we read and unload this text today. And First, let's look at the words together starting with 
verse 5 of chapter 34. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole, whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel." So we have to understand that Moses was a pretty special guy, wasn't he? I mean, the man did some pretty miraculous things, and he was the leader of people, he was loved by people, and he touched the lives of people, and he changed their lives throughout history. So the three things that I want you to understand about this piece of Scripture has to do with this man, Moses. And the first is a rather sobering truth, but I want you to remember that when your time comes... You will be mourned. People will grieve for you. But not forever. Are you with me? When your time comes, you will be missed and you will be grieved, but it won't happen forever. Verses 7 and 8, evidently in Bible times, they had a period of time that they reserved for such things. And we are told that Moses, when he was 120 years... When he died, his eyes were not weak, his strength was not gone. There was a lot of life still in him. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. That was the period of grieving and mourning. They grieved and they wept until the time was over. And then they went on about their business. No matter who it is that is gone, life goes on. Even if one of the greatest of all times, there is a time to grieve and a time to carry on. Some more sobering facts. The average funeral in America costs between eight and $10,000. And the one factor that will determine the attendance at your funeral has nothing to do with what you've accomplished or what you've done or the lives that you've touched. But the number one factor in determining the attendance at your funeral will be the weather. And that's just the way it is. Rain, not a good thing for a funeral. Snow, not a good thing. Cold, not a good thing. If it's a nice sunny day and if you want to have a lot of people show up at your day, you better plan for the sun to shine. I'm not trying to depress anyone this morning, but I do want to impress on you that you will be mourned for a while. How much and how long will be determined by how you live and the lives that you touch. And it was true even with this man, Moses. The second thing in order to live a life that makes a difference, devote yourself to a purpose that will outlive you. 
In those first four verses of Deuteronomy 34, Moses climbs Mount Nebo and he looks around at the land that God has promised him. God promised him, if you take my people out of Egypt, I will prepare for you a land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, and you will take my people there and it will be a great, great land. Remember? Moses climbs that mountain and he is reminded by God of his God-given purpose. Now Moses was not allowed to enter that land because of his past deeds, but he was able to see the land before he died, knowing that his friends, his family would be a part of that promised place of God. He was a man called according to God's purpose. He wasn't the only man called according to God's purpose, and people who dedicate themselves to a purpose bigger than they are usually have a little better piece of the world. Remember Noah? God called upon him to build this ark thing, this huge boat. Took him years and years and years to build, and then he had to gather all the animals, and then he had to take his family with him. And the Bible says that he was chosen in Genesis chapter 6 for these three reasons. He was a righteous man. The Bible says he was also a blameless man among his people. And he also walked with God. So for those three reasons, he was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. God gave him this purpose. And he began to live a life to make his part of the world a better place. Joseph, in Genesis chapter 37, remember him? Didn't have a very good relationship with his brothers. Anybody here have brothers and sisters? Have you always gotten along? Have you had some good days and bad days? His brothers hated him. In fact, they threw him in a cistern. And then they were trying to decide, should we kill him or should we sell him? And they sold him into slavery. And the Bible tells us that because of that act, even though it was a cruel thing, God protected him and he used Joseph to save not just his family and his brothers, but to save the whole Israel nation because of the difficult days that were there. Then there was a guy named Joshua. Joshua, in chapter 5, verse 13, we are told that they had come to this promised land, this land promised to them, and they were going to cross the river again, and the first city that they came to was a town called Jericho. Remember the Old Testament story? Spies went over there, and they looked, and they said, we can't go any further. These people are way too big. They will stomp on us like ants and grasshoppers. And Joshua and his buddy said, no, 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 God has brought us here. He will take us there. Let's go. And then he had this battle plan. Remember, march around the city? Remember? And when they did and they blew their horns and shouted the name, the walls began to fall down. I'm not sure he was the most popular guy in the camp when he came back with that strategy for victory. But the Bible tells us because he had a purpose and was called by the name of God that Jericho and the promised land was handed to him. And then there was that little shepherd boy. Remember that guy, David? The Bible tells us that he was a man after whose own heart? After God's own heart. 
And God was going to bless him because he had a purpose that was bigger than him. And when he went to see his brothers, when he had this little encounter with Goliath, the Bible says that David accepted the challenge and he was going to fight Goliath because God had always protected him. On his way to meet Goliath, he reached down and grabbed five stones. And I was always, I, I always wondered, you know, why, why in the world did he grab just five? I would have had like 75. You know, do, do, do I have any golfers out here? Do you ever take one ball and one ball only? Why not? We're not that good, are we? Do I have any hunters out here? Bow hunters? You ever just take one arrow? Those of you who hunt with the bang bang guns, do you just take one bullet, one shell? No, man. I mean, you have like a bazillion. And one thing that Grant didn't tell you today when his truck was on fire, there was a whole box of bullets in that truck. I mean, we, we don't do things that way. The Bible says that David grabbed five smooth stones and he, th- th- this is the part that I like, he ran to face Goliath. I mean, he didn't hesitate, he didn't walk, he ran to face this guy and Goliath kind of laughed at him and said, hey, who sends this little dog to fight me? My favorite part of the story, David took the little slingshot and down came the big man and then he took his giant sword and he chops off his head. That was my nighttime story to the boys when they were little. Now go to sleep, see you in the morning. David had a purpose bigger than him. Went on to become a mighty king. Oh, he made his mistakes and he had his issues. But God used him because he had a powerful purpose bigger than him. The Bible also tells us in Daniel 3 about the three amigos. Remember? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king built this huge idol and they were commanded in the kingdom to bow. Whenever the music was played, they were to bow and to worship at this idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. And they were called on it. And here's what they said, basically. They said, our God can protect us from you. But if he chooses not to, we will not bow. Yeah. And then the fiery fiery furnace thing, remember the deal? They threw him into the fire, and the fire was so hot that the guards were killed, and then they saw these guys walking around in the furnace and they said, hey, there's, there's someone else in there. And the Bible says once the men were brought out of that fiery furnace, the old king decided that they ought to worship the gods of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a buddy in the book of Daniel. His name was Daniel. And he was commanded not to pray. If he did pray into the lion's den, he would go. And we know how that story went. There's another man talked about in the New Testament quite often. His name was Jesus. And he had a purpose even bigger than himself. His purpose was to fulfill the will of his father. So he and his apostles... Let's just call them the dirty dozen because sometimes I'm not sure they were really locked in. 
But Jesus and his teachings and his life and these 12 other guys changed the world. All examples of people doing life based on God's purpose and plan. And Here's what I'm getting at this morning. If you want to live a life that makes a difference, you need to devote yourself to something bigger than you. Something that will outlive you, something that will outlast you. I'm here to tell you that that needs to be considered as the kingdom of God. One more thing. Invest time and energy building those who come after you. Verse 9. Joshua was the son of Nun and was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. He had taught him. He had trained him. He had prepared him to come after. The Israelites listened to him and they did for him what Moses, what Moses commanded. One of the most important things Moses did before he died was prepare Joseph to take his place. And he did such a good job that Joseph says in chapter 24, verse 5 of his book, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a purpose, a cause bigger than we are. And because of that, we will do some great things. Paul did the same thing with Timothy. God's plan is for us to pass this on to those who come after us. Did you know in the last two Summer Olympics, the United States of America had the two fastest, the men's and women's, the two fastest relay teams on planet Earth. And you know they did not win that race because they failed to hand off the baton properly. In a relay race, it doesn't matter how fast you go if you can't handle the baton. If you drop the baton, the race is over. The baton that God wants us to pass on to other folks is this book, this knowledge. Live a life in such a way that proves... We were out of town last weekend. Maddie Grace turned three. She's going on 17, but she turned just three. Got back in town Sunday night. We stopped in Paris to see how my mom and dad were doing, and Got back in town, had no problem sleeping Sunday night. Thursday night, we had a meeting here. I get a phone call. Debbie says, hey, Abby's going into labor. Abby is Andy's wife in New Albany. So Debbie takes off, and evidently I have a new grandbaby at 2 in the morning on Friday morning. So then I get up and drive over to see the new grandbaby. I missed all the action. I came home. Friday night, and Debbie came home yesterday. And even though I missed all that action, you know what I was thinking about? I have some years to, to teach Preston and Maddie and Eli and now Simon all about this book, all about Jesus who died on the cross for their sins and for my sins. And I have a little bit of time to hopefully welcome them into the kingdom of God. Because I think that's what God has called Big Poppy to do. To bring his family into the kingdom. 
And, you know, I can teach them a lot of things, and I can show them a lot of things, but the most important thing I will ever teach or show them is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, you know, I think Moses understood that when he talked with Joshua. You know, the fact is you will accomplish more through those who come after you than you will accomplish through your own efforts. So devote yourself to building up others, even your own family. Let me ask a hard question this morning, and I know I shouldn't even go there, but let me just go there. Anyone know when Jesus is coming back? Nobody knows, right? If Jesus were to come back today, would you be ready for that? I would. Would your family be ready for that? Can you imagine yourself in a different place for eternity without your children, your spouse, your grandbabies, your friends? I cannot. So I have a hard question for you. Do you want to help make your little part of the world a better place? If so, it probably starts at home. And it starts with the people that you are friends with and the people that you work with. What if you did your best to help them with their hard times, their sufferings? What if you did your best to connect them to opportunities? What if you did your best to increase their knowledge in things that are really important? What if you did your best to help them reach their God-given potential? Fact is, when your time comes and you leave this world behind, life will go on. Fact is, your greatest impact will be felt when you accomplish things through others. So let me encourage you to ask yourselves three questions today, and then we're almost done. Number one. Right now, today, would you say that you are living for something bigger than you? And if that's just getting up and going to work tomorrow, that's not important. Number two, are you encouraging others to keep moving toward greater things? What are you teaching your children? What are you teaching your grandkids? What are you teaching those who know you? And number three, are you investing time and energy in building the lives of others. I mean, are you? If Jesus came back today, this afternoon, would your family be in good, good, good shape? If not, why in the world? Why in the world don't you do something to get them closer to Jesus? I'm not saying, I'm not asking if they're good people. I'm sure they're good people because you're all good people. But if Jesus were to come back, where in the world would they be? Would their soul be in danger? Steve Yesick is a minister in Crystal Lake, Illinois. And he lost his sister Judy about five years ago after a battle with cancer. She was a woman that Steve described as a party animal. In fact, if you looked up party animal in the dictionary, her picture, he says, would be there. She was a heavy drinker and she did a, her share of drugs. And she lived for herself, he says. 
She was someone that everyone loved because she just exuded excitement and she exuded a thrill for life. Steve says when he tried to share Jesus with his sister, she just kind of blew him off and laughed at him. At the age of 44, her world came in when she was diagnosed with breast cancer and Soon after that, she learned that her husband had cancer too. And soon after that, she learned that her husband was having an affair and he had publicly said that he did not love her anymore. It was in that context that she began to ask eternal questions. Questions about grace and forgiveness and love. And from that time until her death, Jesus and his word and his purpose were the most important things to her. And she lived her life, he says, with the same gusto that she did as a non-believer. Her greatest aim was winning people to Jesus. And even though she had undergone various treatments and surgeries, she never quit praying that God would heal her. And her prayer was, if that did not happen, she just prayed that God would allow her to make a difference in the lives of others. She lived long enough to see many of her friends and family come to Christ. And even though she struggled even to breathe, she talked herself out of the hospital 10 days before her death so that she could be baptized. And she invited everybody that she knew to come to her baptism. The day she was baptized, her 84-year-old father came to faith that night and was baptized with her, along with her ex-husband along with her college roommate, a number of nieces, her aunt, her sister, and some others. Ten days later, she died, and even still more people came to, to know Jesus. Her brother preached her funeral, and at that service, he offered an invitation, and a hundred people at the service came to accept Jesus as, her Lord, as their Lord and Savior. Judy made a difference before it was too late, and you know what really bothers me about that whole deal? You know, most of us live our life in pretty easy surroundings, and I wonder how much time we have left. I mean, really. And I wonder if, if you have a chance to make a difference, maybe in your family, with your kids, with your grandbabies, Maybe with your spouse, maybe with your next door neighbor, I don't know. I wonder, when, what if? What if you were responsible for bringing someone to Jesus? What if you were responsible for your children's salvation or your grandchildren's salvation? What if? Because of the way you lived, it made a difference in your neighborhood, in your church, in your town. You know, we could what if forever. What if we got better at forgiveness? Would this be a better place? What if we got better at controlling our thoughts? Would this be a better place? What if we just let worry go? What if we were better with our words, watching what we said, thinking before we said things? What if we got better at our time issues? Would this be a 
better place. What if we got better with our money? Would we be a, in a better place? What if we made a big difference in our small part of the world? If Jesus were to come today, would you celebrate? Or would you weep because of the lives of those who mean a lot to you? The choice is yours as we stand, as we sing.